Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better than okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host Corey, and today we're going to look at ways to reclaim our bodies and why it might be so necessary that we make an active effort to reclaim our bodies. I'll take you through a brief look at my own efforts to reclaim my body and start you off with why it was necessary for me to reclaim my body in the first place. My dislike of my body existed from a very early age. Mostly it stemmed from the way that my father would talk about my body. He was very critical about what I looked like, how I talked, He often made comments about my skin. I remember when I was a teenager and I was getting breakouts on my back, he would tell me that that was my fault, that I was not using enough soap or using a wash rag properly rather than assuming, which it was, something hormonal or something typical of a teenage experience of acne. He would talk about how my teeth were not wide enough, how they were crooked. He would also make comments about my weight, or about the fact that I was bow-legged or walked with a pigeon toe. And if you don't know what this looks like, if you're having a hard time picturing it, basically when I was younger, I kind of had my toes pointing inward, so my left and right foot pointed toward each other. And so when I would step, there was like a little bit of a derpiness to my walk. I don't even know how to describe it. I actively work to straighten my feet now, but I still feel like I kind of jumble along as a, as a form. <laughs> I definitely don't have one of those sexy sashaying walks that I see some women pulling off, and some men, frankly. I don't have that. I just pladunk my way through life. (laughs) And that's largely connected to this earlier experience of being bow-legged, of being pigeon-toed. So he would always be like, you know, straighten your legs. Why do you walk like that? You know, put one foot in front of the other. He had a lot of comments about that. Because he was so critical and so negative about my appearance, it really compounded my difficult relationship with my body. I just felt like I wasn't pretty at all, that there was a lot of things wrong with me. (laughs) This was not just something that my father did. I also remember my grandmother using it as a way to manipulate me. So for example, I believe one time she had said something very hurtful to me or something very negative and I responded by defending myself. And I don't even remember what the exact words were, but just let's pretend that she said, you are fat, and I said, no, I'm not, I'm perfect, or whatever, or no, I'm not, that's a terrible thing to say, or I'm not even sure how I framed it, but my response would have been some kind of self-defense, and her reaction was, don't be ugly, and that's a very southern thing to say (laughs) if you have parents or grandparents from the south. This don't be ugly is probably right up there with bless her heart. But anyway, she would say don't be ugly as a way to curtail any kind of behavior that she thought was unacceptable. So essentially, ugliness was the worst thing that you could possibly be. And apparently sometimes I was ugly (laughs) based on how I acted. 
And then in addition to just these negative messaging situations that I was getting from my family, I also wonder if I had some leftover residue from my mother's own dysmorphia. We know now that a lot of the experiences that babies have can be carried over from their mothers, something that they learned in the womb. And because of my mother's history with sexual abuse, from all those times that her half-brother and her father raped her and abused her and heaven only knows how many other situations that she encountered from dangerous people in her life, she certainly had a dysmorphic relationship with her body. And so I remember once that she was sitting in the bathroom sink applying her makeup. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone do this, but they put both feet in the sink and they lean forward really close to the mirror in order to get their makeup on the way they want to. And so she really liked to do this, and I remember watching her, and there was one time when her weight was so thin, so she was clearly anorexic at the time, she was starving herself, and she was so small that she looked like a skeleton in the sink. Like, I could see all of her elbow joints and shoulder joints, and her little ribs were sticking out, and she was just very, very small. She's probably, I don't know, maybe 80 pounds at the time, and she's about 5'4", so she was pretty light, and it was painful to look at her like that. And so I know that she also struggled with this, and it makes me wonder how much I might have absorbed through osmosis (laughs) or just even pattering or mirroring her how much of that I might have acclimated into my own psychology. And of course, we get a lot of cultural messaging around our bodies, that our bodies are something that other people are meant to enjoy. We have to look a certain way so that other people enjoy looking at us. Our hair, our skin, our features, all of it has to be palatable, and it needs to not occupy or occupy space in a certain way. The focus is definitely on how others perceive us rather than how we perceive ourselves. And so because of all of these negative experiences that I had with my body, I just really did not love my body for a long time. I had a very destructive relationship with my body. I would hurt my body. I was doing self-harm for a while. I was doing some cutting. I've already talked about my eating disorder quite a bit, my bulimia, my struggles with trying to feed myself well. And so my relationship with my body really suffered due to these past experiences with my body. And so because I had such a terrible relationship with my body, it became necessary to reclaim my body. And what do I even mean by that? To reclaim your body is essentially doing whatever you can do to change the focus, to rewire your focal point so that you're no longer pleasing other people with your body. Your objectives, your efforts, your energy is not used to fit in or to be accepted or to blend in if you can. It's to please yourself. And it will be more or less difficult depending on what kind of body you're working with. This world is not very friendly to larger bodies, to darker bodies, to differently abled bodies, however you want to frame that. And so the resistance that you might encounter while you're trying to reclaim your body will vary based on personal experience. But just in case you're thinking it, no, it is not selfish to want to reclaim your body or to turn your focus toward yourself, pleasing yourself, making yourself happy. Because in case no one told you, please let me be the first, your body is meant for you to enjoy. It's not meant to make other people happy. If you make other people happy with your body, great. But First and foremost, it is yours. It was made for you. (laughs) And if anyone tells you otherwise, they are mistaken. It's your vehicle, your way of getting through this life, and it is above all meant to be used and enjoyed in service of yourself. 
So what did my body reclamation process look like? What do I actively do to claim what is mine? One of the first things I did was looking at how I treated my body, how I spoke to it, how I thought about it. Words and thoughts are very powerful, and it needs to be very clear to me what it was I was saying to myself. You can do this by mirror work, a bit of combination between mirror work and meditation. So if you did a meditation in front of a mirror, it can either be a handheld mirror or maybe you sit down in front of a larger mirror. But if you're looking at it and you start looking at yourself, preferably naked because then you will likely have more thoughts. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely true that we can sometimes rag on ourselves just when we're looking at our face. We usually have more negative things to say if we're entirely naked. And so get naked, get in front of the mirror, look at yourself, or have just a shorter session looking at your face and just watch your mind and see what you're saying to yourself. Is it nice things like, oh my gosh, I love my eyes, or oh my god, my skin looks great? Is it positive feedback? Or is what you're saying to yourself really harmful to the point to where you would be horrified if you heard someone saying these things to a friend or a loved one? And so that was my first step, was just becoming aware of what I was telling myself about myself. And then the second step was figuring out whose voice that was. And no surprise, a lot of it was my father. It was my father's voice in my ear who was telling me that I was, you know, super gross and disgusting, excuse for a human being, <laughs> that my teeth weren't white enough, that my skin wasn't nice, etc., etc. So once I realized that I was speaking to myself poorly, I was thinking about myself poorly, and why I was doing it was because of these experiences, I then had to look at where my loyalties lie. Do I want him to tell me what my body is? Was I really going to let him be in charge of this narrative? Or is that for me? Does that belong to me? So a lot of it was mind and emotional work, processing that, reclaiming who was going to get to tell the stories about my body, even to myself. And then also being very careful about how I spoke to my body around other people. So it's very common for people to get around and do this. I don't know if groups of guys do this, but certainly groups of women, we will get together and we'll be like, oh my God, I am so fat. I have gained five pounds in two weeks. I must be the hungriest cow. on the face of You know, it's not uncommon for women to do that. I had to stop. I had to get to a place in which I no longer talked about my body negatively, even if other people around me were doing so. And that would be really challenging. So if I was in a group of friends and they were all like, oh my gosh, I feel so whatever. I could say any positive thing I wanted about them. Like, oh no, that's not true. I love your X, Y, and Z. I could still be their champion. But if they were like, oh my God, I feel like a million pounds. You know what I mean? I couldn't say yes. <laughs> or I couldn't be like, oh yeah, me too, specifically. I couldn't throw myself under the bus. I had to stay by my conviction that I was not going to think or speak about myself that way, even when external pressures kind of set me up to do just that. So that was one aspect of the reclamation process. Another aspect of the reclamation process was how I used my body. And so a lot of the times in the past, what I did to my body was because I was trying to achieve a certain result in order to please other people, right? I wanted to look a certain way. I wanted to weigh a certain weight. And so I did things I didn't like to do, you know, cardio until I wanted to throw up or putting myself through grueling activities just so that I could try to get myself closer to these external goals that some other person determined I should have. 
And instead, I started doing things that felt good to me. So an example of this is I enjoy walking. I feel great when I go walking. Maybe that's not true for everybody. I'm certainly thinking of my wife right now. (laughs) My wife detests walking. When we go somewhere, like we were in Italy a few years ago, pre-pandemic, and we were walking. I wanted to walk everywhere because I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This is a European city. I want to see it all. She would take about 10 steps and she'd be like, where is the bus? (laughs) She's just not about that walking life. It doesn't feel good to her. But I love to walk, and so I go out and I walk every day, and I don't do it for any reason other than it makes me happy, it feels great, my body enjoys doing it. There is no physical result I'm looking for. I do it only because it feels good in my body to do it. And the same is true for strength training. I do like to lift weights. I feel good when I'm doing it, and when it's over, I feel very proud of myself for having done it. So I will lift weights because it's something that feels good when I'm doing it. I enjoy doing it. And the same is true for yoga. Yoga has been really wonderful for me in reconnecting with my body, learning how to listen to my body, how to be good to my body, to be gentle with my body. And so I love doing yoga. A nice yoga session before bed is always really restful for me or in the morning to help me wake up. Or sometimes even just the stretching if I've spent too long at my computer and my back is really achy, I'll enjoy doing some yoga. But basically doing things not because I want a certain result that will make me more palatable for other people, but doing it because it feels good to do it, because my body enjoys doing it. And sort of concurrently was this idea of learning how to listen to my body, listen to what my body was trying to tell me. When my body was telling me it wanted to rest or when my body was telling me it wanted to move, It took some time for me to figure out how to hear the feedback I was getting from my body. And so two of the primary tools I used to learn how to listen to my body was yoga, which I already mentioned. I love yoga because it has this meditative quality. So like sitting in front of the mirror, you have to listen to what's going on in your head when you're doing it. You have to listen to what's going on in your body. You put yourself in these certain shapes and you're like, wow, it feels really tight on this side. You know, my body's telling me I need to do a little bit more work to release that tension from that side of my body. Or to do a body scan in which I focus on each part of my body in turn. So I start down at my toes and then I move up over my feet, my ankles, my calves, my knees, my my thighs, my hip bones, my pelvis, my stomach, my ribs, all the way up through my head, in which I'm checking each part of my body to see how it feels, to see if it feels like it has excess energy, does it need to be moved or shook out, does it feel like it's low energy, does it need to have a little warm-up of some kind, or is it exhausted, am I overusing that, does it need some tension relief? This awareness can really only happen if we pay attention to our bodies. And so I started to take my body's concern seriously and I started to prioritize its needs. If I got sick, I did not force myself to work, to power through. If my body needed to rest, I was not like, no, really, we have to go run six miles right now. Not doing things for other people when I needed rest was essential to reclaiming my body, to realizing that first and foremost, it was my job to listen to it, to take care of it to have this good relationship with it, that my body didn't need to do anything for anybody else but for me. I also had to make an effort to set firm boundaries around the ways I would and would not let other people talk about my body. So as with my toxic past, especially with family members, you know, they're very quick to criticize or they have thoughts on your body. And this is not just me. Most people have someone in their family that have some kind of, quote, helpful comments about their body. I just had to get to a point to where I said, 
my body is not a topic of discussion. Like there will be no feedback from anybody about my body. We will not be talking about my body. We are not going to accept feedback and comments on my body. And I still run into that sometimes. If it came up randomly, if somebody was like, oh God, you know, you're gaining weight, I'd be like, my weight is not a topic of discussion. And I would just say it quite plainly like that. And maybe they'd be like, oh God, or I'm sorry, or God, why not? And I'd be like, it's just not. And I would stay firm on that. And if they just insisted or they were just going to run their mouth, I guess I would have no choice but to walk away and just not have that conversation at all. Because I don't accept those sorts of comments about my body anymore. And probably the culminating act of reclaiming my body was getting my nose pierced. And I know this is going to sound strange to you, but let me take you through this. So because my father was so negative about my body, because he would be so punishing in his comments and his feedback, and I just knew if I ever got my nose pierced, he would just absolutely go off on me. I would be the trashiest, ugliest, most hideous creature on the face of the planet if I ever got my nose pierced. It didn't matter that I thought women with nose piercings were really beautiful. So I'm like, oh, they're so beautiful. So I would see them when I was a teenager, probably 15, 16. I'd be like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. I wish I could pierce my nose. So if you're looking at a picture or a woman in a movie or something and you see her nose pierced and she's the most beautiful creature in the world and you're like oh I would just really love to get that but I know my dad would just be so mean to me about it that was my reality when I finally decided to do it I had already stopped talking to him he was no longer a part of my life at this point and I'm in my 30s at this point it feels like kind of silly (laughs) it's like I'm gonna pierce my nose when I'm in my 30s and I'm like no you know what because I've always wanted this and I didn't do it when I was younger because of him but he's not here anymore so I went and I got my nose pierced and my friend Victoria went with me and the girl with the needle was very nice and I was a little worried but then she did it and I was like oh my god this was so much easier than getting my ear cartilage pierced because once upon a time I had pierced the cartilage in my upper ear I don't know if you've ever pierced the cartilage in your ear but Uh, It does not heal well if you have long hair like me and you get punched in the ear all the time because I was training in the dojo (laughs) at the time. And so it was a terrible experience. And I quickly took my cartilage piercing out. But the nose piercing was so much easier. It did not hurt at all. And it healed pretty quickly, probably because I was no longer getting punched in the nose every other day. (laughs) And so anyway, I got the nose piercing and I just loved it so much. I looked at it and I was like, I am so pretty. But you know, there are still people to this day, especially because now I have a more visible face. I'm on the internet all the time. I send out these newsletters. I have my pictures. So every once in a while, I'll get someone who is brazen enough to say, I love your books. I love your writing. I just wish you didn't have a nose ring. (laughs) And I'd be like, well, good. It's not for you. I think the last thing I said to someone was, good news. You don't have to look at my face while you're reading my books. (laughs) Because That nose ring is a perfect example of doing something for yourself. Like that nose ring is not to please anybody else in the world. I did not get that to make anyone else think I am pretty or lovely. I got that for myself. It makes me happy when I see it in the mirror. And I'm not saying you need to run out and get a tattoo or piercing. I'm just saying that you might need to do something for yourself that is a clear act of reclamation. I am doing this for me and only for me and other people may or may not like it but it doesn't matter because it's not for them. It is for me which is exactly what my nose piercing was for me. 
And another thing to note is that all of this applies even if you have a challenging body. So if you're dealing with a disability or a chronic illness, anything that makes it hard to love your body, I acknowledge that it's going to be harder to accept your body as it is, to believe that your body is meant to be used for your own pleasure, for yours and yours alone. I can't even begin to know what those experiences might be like. I mean, I've had injuries and low back pain, but we both know that is not the same thing. <laughs> that is not even remotely close as someone who's living with a chronic illness or disability. And so if you're dealing with challenging circumstances, I still encourage you to find a way to reclaim your body, to make it yours again. And you might even have to do some brainstorming, given whatever your specific situation is, to figure out what you're going to do that's going to signal to yourself, like my nose ring, that this is for me. I did this because I love this. This makes me happy. Whenever I do this or see this, I know that first and foremost that my body belongs to me because you do deserve to have a body that is solely yours and you deserve to have a good relationship with that body. That is above all what I desperately want for you. So okay dear human, that's all I have for you today. As always, it is my sincerest wish that you found this episode helpful. I would also like to remind you that I've opened up the show to questions, so if you have a specific question or situation that you want me to offer my thoughts on or experience on, you can email me at the address in the show notes of this episode. But otherwise, I will be back next week with another episode of A Well-Cared-For Human, and until then, please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.